Welcome to 42 Answers from Founders for Founders, a podcast series brought to you by Project Adventures, the operational VC. My name is Rainer Birak, operating partner at Project A, and our guest today is Dr. Markus Wirben. Welcome. Yeah, thanks, Rainer. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. In this podcast, we talk to great founders and to those who have been great founders in the past or work closely with those. We ask them the same set of questions in some domains that we believe matter tremendously if you want to build a successful company. These are tech, growth, people, data, and ESG. Markus, who are you, what do you do, and why do you do it? Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm Markus. I'm the CMO and co-founder of CrossEngage. And yeah, in my role, I am trying to um, deliver the value that CrossEngage, uh, which is a SaaS platform, a customer data and prediction platform, to the audience because a lot of things have changed in digital marketing and everything is going towards first-party data and CRM. And that's what we're strong at. Okay, and who's your target group? Our target group is everyone who needs repeat business, uh, repeat business, so repeat purchase. So anyone from fashion retailers, product-driven companies, um, companies that need to um, have you know renewals and subscriptions. So anyone would need to do um, repeat business. So for example, mattresses, for example, would probably not be our the the the, the sweet spot. You know, you'd rather have a big uh, basket and, and sell it once in a, in a very long time. However, if you look at companies like uh, like like fashion retailers uh, that we have, like AGS, so everyone who needs repeat purchases at a at a good price, because acquisition costs have risen uh, tremendously, and reacquisition costs um, as well, we need to make sure uh, that we get um, a cost per order that is in decent uh, in decent ranges, and that's what where CRM can help. I wonder what investors in uh, mattress, in vertically integrated mattress companies would say about that, but yeah. <laughs> it's, <laughs> of course, of course. I mean, like in, in a sense, you know, there's also CRM, but if you look at the purchase cycle, of course, uh, that absolutely. usually is much longer. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Thank you for that. And now let's get started. The first chapter. People. If you would start a company today, what would be your first five hires? Yeah, um, I would hire an um, engineering manager um, to, first of all, you know, balance ideas and make sure we have a, a great person who is managing the, the engineering team. I would hire a, a product marketing specialist to really see how we can deliver, you know, transfer the message that the product brings, the idea of the product brings into the market. I would hire a UX specialist. Um, we're in the B2B space, but B2B software really is merging into B2C-ish um, kind of software. So the old kind of, let's say, SAP black and white mask, these times are over. Everything needs to look really, really like a B2C application. So UX is really important. Um, then I would hire as a fourth person, a designer. Um, so somebody who, 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 can, who, can, who, can, who can merge and who can visualize Complex ideas and simple graphics, the power of, of, of picture is really important. And I would hire a CRM consultant because we as founders usually go to the outside and the CRM consultant in our space really makes sure that we have specialized domain knowledge around the field of CRM uh, and bringing this together is actually, is actually the, the group of people that I would hire um, these days. 
Question two. Were these indeed your first five hires? No, they were not at all. <laughs> it, was actually, it was actually one business development and four engineers. Very, very, very engineering driven organization. Um, what are the hardest hires today? I mean, like every role is really hard to hire because the market is really empty. But if you really want to nail it down, um, it'd probably be product managers and engineers. Uh, we are working in the big data space, um, a lot of real-time data flowing into our platform. And you really need specialists that have worked with this kind of uh, amount of data. And that's not um, super trivial to find. How do you measure employee satisfaction? Yeah, we do the uh, employee NPS, basically, every quarter in the company. So every employee is being asked whether he were, he's satisfied, uh, whether he would recommend the company, what he would uh, improve. Um, so we do this really every quarter. Um, and weekly, uh, we have an anonymous um, kind of question setting where, where any, any employee can ask us any question. We call this Ask Management Anything. And it's anonymous, um, so nobody really—it's really anonymous, so nobody really sees who asked that question. Um, that's really important, especially when there are any critical decisions, anything where people do not want to expose themselves. Um, but we really want to get that information, and so we use that. And for us, that's also a measure of of, of satisfaction, right? The tonality where it comes is more qualitative than the the uh, NPS. Um, do you use a tool for that? I'm gonna ask. Uh, yes, it's actually now a Bamboo HR. Uh, you can easily run NPS uh, in that. And for Ask Management Anything, it's actually um, it's 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 a it's a kind of a type form combined with Slack. So every week, a certain, around a certain point in time, we uh, spread the message into our general chat, and then people um, they make use of that, um, and, and it's well accepted and easy. Number five: How do you measure employee performance? Oh, this is a really good topic and it's really, really hard, um, especially when you're in an engineering organization. I mean, there are so many measures you can actually use um, and some are super invalid. What we have found best is really if a team is um, satisfying in, in making their OKRs. Do they reach what they, what they actually planned on doing? And if they didn't reach it, you really see... Is it the company? Is it any setting? Is it the surroundings? Or is it actually the team um, that, that, that works on that task? I think OKRs are the best way to do this. How should an organization be structured? I mean, in a sense, you know, this is probably not new, but agile. Uh, I mean, that's the, that's the name of the game. Be fast and, and don't have like a lot of hierarchy in there. So people talk to each other. Um, the most important in my from my perspective, after a couple of years, is that you explain to every department what the other's department's challenges are. So cross-department understanding of their challenges, that's really important. So let's, let's assume, you know, we, we have customer experience who talks to our clients and they have an issue. Then they need to be. Then engineering needs to understand that they are under pressure. If there is, an, you know, if there is is kind of a bug, or if there is anything, even if engineering is might consider it, and not a severe bug, but it might be very severe to customers, right? And then kind of aligning these cross department um, challenges. Um, that's that's something I really put a lot of focus on. But still agile, not too many, not too many, not too many meetings, all this kind of stuff. That taps into the next question. Uh, what's your approach to culture? Yeah, I mean, in a sense, what we found really 
really helpful is actually the diversity thing. We've been doing this in Berlin. I mean, we, we started in Berlin and it was natu naturally diverse uh, in our company. And we think this is really, really good. It brings a lot of different thoughts um, to the same problem from different perspective. And that's what we really, really like. And the other thing is we, we have values in our, in our company that we would like to um, people to, to believe in and, and, and really live um and and accommodate with and and feel and these are mastery so personal mastery that you really develop yourself um that that you develop your team that 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 you're getting better every day at what you're doing um we want our people to be customer obsessed uh, the most important is the customer um that's just for us it's not the team it's not it's it's the customer because they actually you know make everything happen that we do in the company so the more happier our customers are the happier we can be and the more we can do it's a pioneering spirit. I mean, we operate in the, sp the space of the CDP, which is a very, still very new category. And so there is nothing like a wrong and right. If you build an e-commerce shop, if I may simplify it that way, there's a lot of people that have built e-commerce shops and still it's hard, right? It's still very hard to build one. But at the same time, a significant number of online shops have been built so far. And in a CDP space, th there's no blueprint of that's the way to do it. And I think this this requires a lot of pioneering spirit and courage to go forward and believe in your ideas and and really try something else and also fail fast, right? That that also belongs to to that. And the other thing is is really ownership as a first a fourth value that we have. If I if somebody says I'm going to get it done, uh, we believe that this person is going to get it done. We believe in that that people can organize themselves, that they take things serious, that we don't have to go there every day. It's like you know, did you get your stuff done? But really believe that that our people can take ownership of of in 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 solving solving challenges, basically. Okay. Remote first or office first? Absolutely hybrid. I I I I, I, I at first I was I was skeptical. Does home office work? And, and and it works a lot better than we ever thought. You don't have any ways. Uh, commuting ways to the to the office anymore it's really really efficient but there's also a challenge in that um and that is people you, you're lacking the social interaction so for example what i noticed for myself is i can't look into start is stare into video cameras all day anymore i even i even very often turn the video off and it just do the audio because it's this permanent staring because it doesn't really give me something so we also believe that that the office needs to be rethought in terms of more of a social space where groups can get together <clears throat> in certain points of time and they exchange their ideas. But you know, this workspace kind of that every sits everyone sits in a row and does his or her job. Um, we don't think this is going to be um, uh, the future. It's more a hybrid thing. Next chapter: Tech. Is CrossEngage a tech company? We're a solutions company. We solve problems. And tech is only one way to solve the problem, and especially in terms of this value-based CRM that we, that we are doing. Everything starts with a good strategy. Everything starts with an organization. I think uh, everything starts with what, what can we do with data. And only in the fourth part, we have the solution, the tech solution, that solved this, uh, that solved this, this issue. So we're a solutions company. Uh, who's in the lead when you divide into product and development? Fortunately, product nowadays, um, they're really the, the central, the central um, department that gathers all the requirements from, from engineers, and from sales, from marketing, um, from us founders. 
and and we they try to put it into a vision into a plan of where we want to go and really really strong alignment especially with sales and marketing and and, and the customer operations um yeah uh, it, it it used to it used to be it used to be different it was more engineering driven um but that that is uh that is suboptimal from from some perspectives and who decides what to develop next at the end of the day our cpo cto dennis um he really he really is in charge of um you know getting all the requirements getting all the ideas and then you know in alignment with 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 Bjorn from sales or me from marketing uh, we then sit together and say like hey this would be valuable this would be valuable but he in uh, at the end of the day needs to decide on the on the product roadmap so that's also the decision process yes basically. Okay. Yeah, that's all, exactly exactly. So, decision process maybe is, is also maybe basically the, the question that we're asking ourselves is what what gives us the biggest scale. So, what moves the needle uh, most, and 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 th that's something that that's really important for us because in the very beginning when we started, of course we had few clients and we did a lot for individual clients, but the question is is that really valuable in the long term? Uh, and so we always ask ourselves what's what what scale does it give us? And if it's not a, a scaling a feature that gives a scale, we think about whether it's a hygiene factor. We just need to have it because it's standard. But that's basically how we how we make the decisions. What's your take on product-led growth? Um, the thing, it's the thing. If we look at how we sold, you know, many years ago, we sold basically enterprise way. Uh, you know, the, the big brand basically that 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 sells to to. To, to deciders um, that moved into more of the sales to the CMO. And now we're really selling to users uh, and we try to make users life easier. That's, that's what we do. And, and, and we always need to offer new options where, you know, we can make the lives of our CR managers uh, or marketing managers or user platform, make their day easier. That's most important. So we, we believe this is, this is super important. Which role does design play in your company? Big time. Um, totally underestimated when I started in 2015. Um, say like, hey, it needs to be kind of decent, um, but but not, but not kind of a shiny B2C application. That proved to be completely wrong. So design, um, and there are multiple aspects of it: the visual appearance of it, and and the usability of it. So both, kind of, in my terms, are are design. I just unbelievably important in B2B settings. People expect B2C style um, applications. There needs to be eye candy, it needs to look good, it needs to be funny, uh, needs to feel good, it needs to be fun to log in in the morning. Would you outsource software development? I mean, we do, we do sometimes. Um, and at the end of the day, it comes down to whether you distract your core team from the core tasks. So if you have certain, whatever in our terms, it could be integrations or it could be something that um, makes use of our API and builds something more out of this, then we would definitely outsource this. Um, the core of our application, really the core of it, we'll, we'll keep internally and will not give out because there's a huge risk associated with people leaving and so forth. But anything like surrounding the platform, um, is we, we can definitely deliver. And that's also a good test because if you ever want to really, really scale, we need to be much more of a platform that, you know, other people are, um, um, 
you know, really jump onto and develop applications, uh, models, whatever, on top of our platform. And, and, and I think this is, this is a good first test if we outsource something to see whether, you know, it's usable without super special knowledge. Growth. If you think about the complete funnel, brand, marketing, sales, customer success, do you have all of these functions at CrossEngage? Yeah, finally we do. Um, brand, a little bit in terms of what I do in my role as a CMO and also when I um, work, work in terms of the PR. Um, but apart from that, yes. Um, customer success, for example, is super important for us. I mean, we're a platform that is also complicated. There are a lot of options. So we make sure that we have a customer success uh, lead really that, 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 that drives our product usage, right? That makes sure we, so, the, we solve the, the customer's issues. That's really the, the, the most important uh, in it. Sales, absolutely. Also, as, we, as I said earlier on, we started as an engineering company. I'd much more focus on the market instead of the engineering part. So, so sales is super, super important, marketing and brand um, as well. So finally, yes, we do have that. Is any of them in the lead and, and how are they structured among them? Yes, we have, we have a management um, uh, level. Um, we call them the director level uh, and they're responsible for any of these functional, uh, functional teams. So we have a director of marketing, even we have a director um, um, of, of, of customer success um, and so forth. So, and they're in charge and they also define their team OKRs. They're part of the weekly management round. Uh, they really decide with us, with the founders, um, uh, wh where the company is going. Um, yeah. How do you make sure that they don't work in silos and in case uh, the, the revenue doesn't come in, uh, they start to blame each other that, I don't know, the marketing leads weren't good enough or sales isn't converting good enough, etc. Yeah. So, so one way is, the, you know, this cross department understanding is important if you map this in, onto the OKR process. So cross team OKRs are quite important to, for, for teams to early in the, in the quarter align. What do we need to do? And even the quarter before, because they need to define their goals together. Um, and then it's, it's really about joint goals and joint objectives in the OKRs. That's important. And then make sure that we have a face model. So not every, so we, we have, we have a significant number of leads right now. And, um, and it, it's kind of moving like a kind of a, a positive way, uh, wave through the company. So we need to make sure that the corresponding, so very in the very beginning is sales, it's marketing, then it's onboarding, you know, then it's customer success who will get this kind of wave. And we just need to make sure that we have a good plan, how we work with this. And then the, the teams that, that are, that are, that in that quarter will, will, will kind of have to deal with this wave. They need to have really joint LPRs um, to work on that. How important is brand for you? Uh, super important in a, in a world where we are not solving a single use case, but there is a lot of use cases. Um, that's the first part. The second part is it's, it's kind of a new thing to do. This, this value-based audience management that we're doing, right, with predictive audiences and so forth, people are still, it's not, they're not really used to them. Um, a lot of people are still, you know, scared to make the next step. So we need a trustful partner. And brand is really something that can create a notion of trust, a notion of, I know this brand, I, I associate, you know, cer certain aspects with this brand that, that gives me the um, security that I can work with this company. So brand, super important. And how do you approach it? Um, so what we do is we, we try to be, um, first of all, I mean, 
our basic concept is around the thought leadership. Um, so I think that we are quite, quite well positioned in what, what we've been talking about and for the last two years really got into effect was rising customer acquisition costs, these problems in data, data availability, all this kind of stuff. We've been talking about this for, for a very long time. And what we see is that people people turn to us and even ask us about you know what do you think how 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 market is is really going um and in order to foster this in this community we've also built the heroes of crm community so a community of of crm managers um and and i think that's the best way uh it's not only like the shiny big pig uh, the, 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 the the shiny nice pictures and colorful pictures but it's really bringing the community together we say like hey this is this is my peer group this is where I align. And then there's this cross-engage organization in the background that does that. And that's kind of cool. So, for example, Heroes of CRM, cross-engage is only a sponsor because but this is a kind of an approach, but everybody knows cross-engage behind that. So it's kind of like, you know, we don't want to push us to self too much in this respect, but we would just want to show that we have the, the great speakers. We really have great speakers on the Heroes of CRM. Flo Heinemann has always uh, been there. Mark Poish, uh, Philip Klockner, all these kind of people have been there. So really great community. And that's what we try to signal to the outside world. Work with cross-engaging and working with a great community. Other than that, which marketing channels do you use and, and why these specifically? Yeah, LinkedIn works very, very well, of course, because of the scale. It's the platform um, right now, um, undoubtable. Um, then events work for us. We have a complex topic. I, I also like to talk, um, but it also sometimes requires a couple of minutes to talk about where things are moving, why things are moving the way uh, they are, why you shouldn't be managing your newsletters by open rate anymore, because there's a reason for this. And sometimes it just takes a few minutes uh, to do so. Events are so events for us are really, really great. And then, of course, we have inbound, um, so we get quite a few demo requests these days, uh, really on uh, through our website, and of course, also a newsletter, but we're, which we're not pushing too hard. LinkedIn and events is definitely where we try to spread the message. Is performance marketing dead or dying anytime soon? It's, at least as we know it, it's dead. I mean, listen to PP. Even uh, you know, she said she's it's dead, and there's a good reason for this. I mean, what the thing is, I mean, the platform marketing will be there, but the thing is, this entire the way we grew up with performance marketing is measuring measuring every individual individual touch point, doing the getting the attribution right and that stuff. That is dead because we're not getting the data anymore. And you have to rely on the platforms that give you the right data. So if you, if you consider performance marketing as a platform marketing, maybe Amazon, Facebook, whatever, no, it's big. It's big and expensive. But if you consider it performance marketing the way we kind of you know, started with, with all of this, um, no more. Mm -hmm. um, do you have salespeople? We do. Um, how do you find good digital savvy salespeople? Because this is for a lot of companies we talk to. Quite yeah. a challenge. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm starting to believe that you, you need a good sales leader who knows his or her stuff in terms of the mechanics of sales. How does sales work? But apart from that, I think you just need really smart people. People that can feel other people. And I, I want a big shout out to to Anna Kortz, uh, who's actually was was with us for for many years. She's now at HubSpot. Um, and, and I think at the beginning, she didn't even want to be, I, just, I, I hope we can say that, but I, I think, hello, Anna, uh, she didn't even want to be, um, um, sales and, but she has just this passion for 
people. And she is bright and smart, but she has a passion for people. She can keep up what's, in my view, is the most important in the sales process. It, it, she keeps it dynamic. She, and that's actually the skill that you need to have. You need to have the ability to keep up relationship and make it dynamic and not be annoying because we all don't want to ha have these three retargetings in the email. Hey, have you read my email? Answer one, two, three. Three is I don't want to hear anything. And two, maybe next week. One, please. So nobody wants that, right? They want compassionate people where it's enjoy, enjoyable to talk to. And, 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 and I think that's why it doesn't always require like the most digital skills, but it's, it requires really a compassionate person that keeps up the dynamic. Data. How does data make CrossEngage successful? Yeah, I mean, uh, at the end of the day, we observe the usage patterns in our um, application. We know pretty much when a user is seeing what screen, um, what functionality it is using, which intensity. Um, that's what we're seeing. And if we can't see that we can't even optimize our system so if we wouldn't for example even lower down on the tech site we wouldn't understand our um, load patterns when traffic is coming in or not if we didn't measure this uh, we'd just always be running flying blind and, and our system would crash permanently um, and and it's so important that we measure the measure the the, the the tech kpis there's hundreds of them also the business kpis in terms of the growth um, of what we're doing also the users pattern so in every aspect you need to measure what's going on 100 that always comes in in handy also when you know clients request something from you i mean like if you know what happened if you know where this things is is going because sometimes memory even of clients kind of fades Uh, between moment A and moment B, and and then it's always good to really understand what happens. So data is essential for for running a modern digital organization. So that that focuses quite a bit on on uh, basically using it in product. Which other functional areas uh, do you use, yeah. or, or do, where where's data used? All, all the way through, all the way through. So even until marketing and sales, what kind of leads are we getting from which source are we getting it? What kind of quality does this um, um, lead have? What what information can I pull from the web to understand the lead better? Um, in terms of sales, what kind of what's our sales cycle? How long does it take um, in various stages? Uh, how to estimate the contract volume? on every on every on every level really it's not only product but it's really like engineering product sales customer success so customer success for example always looks at what kind of campaigns what of kind of um, analysis are our clients running uh, how many times do they update that are they actually interacting uh, and then you know our customer success um, director really has a lot more beef to to uh, approach the the client with hey look at this you know you should be doing that so it's really on every level um, anything else makes you fly blind and that's uh, not good is your data team asked to rather answer specific questions or to explore data and just to find opportunities i mean it's 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 really that we don't really have a data team in a sense um we just say we need the data in every team so make sure you collect it in your team and because every team has individual requirements in terms of the depth of the data the breadth of the data the availability of the data so it's not like that we have this one team that serves everyone but we rather try to make sure that in that also via the okrs uh right that everything can be monitored that 
people can argue around what happened. And then naturally a reporting, a data reporting solution basically comes into place in one way or the other. And then it's, you can also explore, um, that's very much on the product side, like what kind of paths did people take or, you know, what was the most successful content that we were uh, uh, producing, stuff like that, that you can definitely explore also on the data. But it's not like that we have this one team. And, and how do you ensure that the people really do what the data recommend? I mean, at the end of the day, we don't really ensure what, 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 what our, what the data. No, we we can't really ensure that. And at the end of the day, it's the it's the responsibility of a good OKR process because people need to make the decisions for themselves, and they need to have the balance within they can operate, and that's the OKRs. And if they leave opportunities on the ground, you know, we'll see in the performance of the. Uh, unleveraged, un, un like options unleveraged, we'll see at the end of the quarter and then we'll go in depth and say like, hey, what's, what was going on? Don't we have anything? Um, because people, at the end of the day, people always need to understand the why, like where are you going? If you just go there and say like, hey, you do this now, you know, push this, just it's really hard. Um, it's really hard to do. Uh, and, and one thing we notice really much is that the Team members really always need to understand the why. And then they also, they're also fine with accepting things that they don't really like. But if they don't understand the why, then it's really like, no, I'm not going to do this, right? No, this, this guy doesn't tell me anything here. But if you understand the why, that's basically, you know, people have a lot of options, right? It's, you don't have to stay in companies for very long anymore if you don't really like it. So it's really about making sure that, that our team members also grow in terms of you know, them asking themselves questions like, okay, why has this decision been made? Why make, does it make sense? Okay, don't agree, but I commit, right? That's the, that's the best case that we can, we can get there. And it's been a long journey to get there, right? Yeah. Which data tools and infrastructure do you use? Oh, super sophisticated Google Sheets. Um, um very very often our entire business plan is also in google sheets and masterpiece uh from our basic cfo and manuel um huge so there's a lot you can do in google sheets don't worry and then of course we have certain um databases um from mysql databases and visualizations on top of this until some real-time data point um uh, influx db for example on the on the tech side so de depending really on the use case uh, of the data we have different databases and different tools You mentioned earlier you don't really have like a separate data team, so you don't have Correct. like specific data engineers, uh, data analysts, data scientists, or so. But it sits within each department of the organization. Yeah, correct. Okay. So that answers also the question where it's located. But there is also not that you have like one data person per team, but it's really the responsible responsibility of the people in the team to work in a data-driven way. Yes. Yeah. Like, it, otherwise, it's like what I saw with these specialized functions is that, that also, like, the teams or people will put all the responsibility onto this one single person, and then he has to, or she has to do everything. And nothing else comes from the team. And you don't want that. You want the team to, they themselves develop further and, you know, let's look at the day, let's try it because we need to reach our OKRs. So we need to come up with more, more ideas better than the five minutes at lunch that we thought about. So let's look at the data. So again, that's kind of what 
it relates to the why question, right? They need to answer the, the question themselves. So if you have this one person there that's always nagging and say, like, look at the data, or here's the data, people won't, won't use that in my, in my view. Uh, and, and this person will usually also be overloaded. That's also one of these things of central aspects. When you have a central team and the requests come from every side, you know how it is, right? It comes like a data warehouse, right? It comes from all the sides, like at the same time, thousands of requests and so forth. And that's really hard to scale. And it's like, hey, there's the bottleneck. We can't do anything because, you know, the data team is clogged and can't work. No, we let, enable the people to work with the data themselves. GDPR, is it a struggle or an opportunity? It is the blessing uh, that we have been waiting for. Um, but like... I mean it. I mean it. From a consumer's per perspective, I think it's it's really good. Um, being a first-party data marketer, that's what we are. All these restrictions on on third-party data and in this, you know, kind of data sharing is just absolutely perfect. Apple's ATT uh, and even mail protection, so you don't even see the opens anymore. Right in email responses, you need to think about this. This is what people were used to, right? Not any, any value, but has Rainer opened his email? Yes. Then let's wait two days, and it, this is done. This is gone. It's also, you know, part of this entire kind of data pr privacy uh, initiative. And for us, we believe this is great because we also started kind of this company in terms of we want to have better marketing. We don't want to just spray and pray. There is a lot of value in customer relationships and, and people understand the value of their data. So we need to think a bit different. Um, so overall, as a consumer, I think it's great. And for a company, for us, this is an absolute blessing. Environmental, social and governance. Why didn't you start an ESG company? I, I, I still believe that CrossEngage, even as a first-party data um, a strategy company, is a, a kind of a social company because we make marketing better. We, we're not abusing um, for customer data. Uh, we make sure that we deliver value to customers uh, and to clients before you know, we kind of just suck, we not just suck data in, right? And then, you know, Rainer, give me all your data and you're not, you're not going to get anything back, right? We as CRM managers, we need to create a value relationship. So like, right, I need to tell you why you, why you should be giving your, me your data. And, and, and I need to give something first. And I need to restrict what I, what I sent to Rainer. I need to understand what I sent to Rainer. It's just not like one kind of anonymous person that I just dump everything on and hope that I will get some money out of this. But it's a person behind that, right? And we want to make the experience of these per people, of these people that work with a brand uh, that uses us better. And so I always thought it's actually a very good reason to make sure we don't, you know, create more crap, but we actually reduce it. And if I may just add on top of this, we just had a case where we showed that there was this Standard management was saying, hey, let's send another newsletter. We need the additional revenue, need the additional revenue. And the CR manager was coming to us like, can we do anything about this? So we built an AI model, which predicted um, which, 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 which customers are, are very likely to unsubscribe and a few other factors. And what we could show is that we could reduce the frequency of four emails to one email. And we didn't lose a single euro in revenue. Not revenue per contact and not revenue overall, but we reduced the unsubscribes by 80, 58% uh, and 75% less emails. I think that's, that's actually a good cause also um, 
for, for, for us. But of course, it's not in the, you know, it's not in this big picture that we're having now. And because we started in 2015, but I still think this is from a data point of view, something really valuable for, for yeah. customers. Absolutely fair points. Anyway, coming back to the like core of how ESG is often meant, if you think about the environment, what does CrossEngage do in order to help? Yeah, from some operative things like trying to be as paperless as possible, um, really, um, th that's something we, we don't want to have in the office. We are sponsoring uh, B4G tickets, for example. We as an employer, we, can, we, we support um, these, these monthly tickets. Um, we also support the, the renting of swap feeds uh, nowadays. So we want to make sure people don't come by car, um, they come by train. So everything we can do in this perspective, we, we are supporting. Um, we as a company, we I can't remember actually flying. Uh, I've only been using the, the train. Um, it actually works nice if you don't have a connecting train, if it goes direct, that usually is nice. Uh, so, so flying, like this nonsense of flying from Berlin to Munich in the morning, having a two hour meeting and then flying back. I'm so happy that this doesn't happen anymore. We don't want this anymore. And then we are, of course, if we travel, we pay the, the CO2 penalty basically on travel perk. We're using travel perk for this. And then we are um, also uh, active in the leaders for climate action on a more global scale. How about the social part? Which role does social play in the way you run your business? Yeah, I, as long as I can think, I always thought that it is so unfair that these single moms have the biggest risk to go into a socially uh, critical situation, precarious um, situation, because you can't work, because you don't have anyone who takes care of, 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 the, of the child. Um, the, the jobs are not very well paid. And, and I believe this this can't happen so we try and cross engage with people have kids if you need to people need to be flexible we're flexible with this people have flexible hours um we try to make sure that 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 pay is 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 equal i think real equality basically for me is something really social being being able even though you know you have a kid you have a certain surrounding to be part of the community and being part in a in a in a, in a company that does something significant uh, that that to me is social right even though you have kids and even every second and yes then the kid is sick that's just what it is but you get the payback also we, we see from these people that sometimes they're just delivering at times where we didn't expect that to so it's a back and forth but i just really don't want to have a a company i don't want to work in a company where where you can't be yourself, where it matters what gender you have, and it, it matters if you have kids or not. Like back in the 90s or 80s, right? Oh, you want to have kids? You know, I'm also from a kind of, still late in that generation, but it's like, oh, yeah, really? What's about your career? And isn't this horrible in one way or the other? And so why can't we as, as companies do a little bit like that, right? And even if we grow bigger, we've also thought about something like a kindergarten. Why not, right? If you really scale to more, like to a certain size, What's really the cost factor? I mean, I know, right? Like every one of us, we're providing free drinks, we're making parties. You know, we still we do this social thing, right? We do something. So why not extend that a little bit more to to, to account for the for the realities of of every single one? Last in ESG governance, which criteria do you follow here? Um, 
yeah, I mean, we're not super, super, super strong in, in that. But what we try, of course, in the government's side is, of course, the, the, the GDPR and security first um, um, aspects uh, that we are driving. And if you look at governance in terms of preventing opportunism, um, so people kind of make you know, special deals with certain providers. Um, it's really around the OKRs and cross-team OKRs that try to prevent that. And be it transparent. That's usually like people need to argue why they have taken certain decisions. Um, and that that's that usually for our size of the company, we're 70 people, um, still works very fine. But I, I can understand, you know, the more you grow, um, you know, let's let's look at a company like Crisonia, who've grown like towards so many cities in Europe with hundreds of, of employees. I think you need to do this in a more sophisticated way. But with 70 people, I think they're still fine. You know our industry for quite a while already. Uh, so if you have a startup that really focuses on ESG, do you think it will help them get funding? Or will investors rather see this as a deflection from earning as much as possible? Um, I, I think investors are themselves in a situation that their investment criteria uh, will need to um, or will, 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 will make it necessary that companies follow an ESG approach. I, I think that investors will themselves, uh, from their investors, so to speak, uh, from their LPs, uh, get the limitations, do not invest anything that's not ESG. So rather so, supportive. Supportive and defectors must have. Uh, if you don't, it's more like if you don't, if if you're not good at in this space, if you have something that's bad, it's more like it doesn't make you investable. Do you at CrossEngage have some some a role like an ESG officer or anything similar? As I said, not yet really. Um, we try to you know talk about these topics in, in in our management circle, but it's not like that. We have a dedicated person with 70 people um, on that side. We we again every director uh, is 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 asked to think about where can we make a change? Where can we make an impact? May it be in the people and culture department, may it be office management, even our office manager has impact, right? Because he can reduce the waste that, that we are generating in the office. So it's really, again, up to everyone else to think in these kind of terms, instead of somebody being there and say, like, I know, no more of this plastic you bring into the office, right? I mean, it's more like a natural thing that needs to come and where everybody should think about. Um, yep. If, if you would implement such a position, where would you locate it? Where right, to, right next to the CEO. Yeah. Okay. Last three questions. Which one is the one podcast all founders should listen to? Uh, it's actually, I can only, I can, I can, I, I need to name two because uh, so, so the one is Doppelganger podcast, super interesting. Also from an investment point of view, they really have a lot of um, really great content. I think they're, they're really hitting the nail um on the on the head with what they're what they're doing in terms of how how uh, from a kind of startup founder's perspective investment decisions are being made i, I really like that approach and then also eric siegman's uh, marketing transformation podcast i think he is a really really high quality in terms of the guests and the topics they're talking about what are your top two pieces of advice for early stage founders yeah get good managers early That's and focus on the structurally important work. Don't get caught up in all these details for every day. Um, think about the big things and look, look for allies that 
you know, work, want, want to work with you and they will take work that you, you do and they will take, put it into practice and every day so you can really go out. Because in the very beginning, you'll, you'll be on the road so much. You'll be talking to external people so much and, and, and you need people that cover you, cover you back. Um, and so get good managers. Um, and, and another thing, you're definitely not needed in every meeting. Um, set up a good structure, framework, reporting, exchange, uh, but don't, you don't need to be, if you're in a meeting from nine to six uh, with basically no breaks, you're doing something wrong. Last question at my personal growth hack, what are the two other founders whom I should ask exactly this set of questions and you will make an introduction for me. Um, so I would, I would love to mention Jochen Missel, the CEO of Alphapad. Um, I think a super interesting uh, company, a D2C approach and uh, a, a brick and mortar approach. So really online channel, um, really just made acquisitions also. A very, very, um, very elaborated view on, on, on uh, customer management. Um, so super interesting and a super nice and interesting person, Jochen. And the same applies to um, uh, Arkady Yapolinsky from Wunderflats. Uh, also, I think super interesting because they are doing this Ukraine um, support with their with their flats uh, that they that they rented out. Um, so they're really making an impact right now. Really appreciate what what Arkady is doing in this space. Dr. Markus Wim, thank you very much for these forty-two answers. That's it. Thanks a lot. Um, I'm much looking forward to getting the introductions that you mentioned. And I bet so is our audience. Uh, take care and have a great day. Thanks, Rainer. Thanks for having me. We hope you enjoyed our podcast. If you did, how about you subscribe on Spotify and or iTunes and give us a rating.